So the big question is, how do entrepreneurs like us, who built our businesses from the ground up, who spend our own capital, who want to make a huge impact on this world while creating a great income? Those are the questions we will answer in this podcast. My name is David Asarno, and welcome to Get Naked in Business. I'm glad you're here. Now it's time to get naked. Imagine losing over $30 million, having your back against the wall, and having to figure out how to turn it around. Today's guest, Kevin Buck, shares exactly this and how a mobile home park changed his life. Hey, this is Dave Sarno. Welcome back to another episode of Get Naked in Business. I am so excited today because we've got Kevin Buck. I've known Kevin for a few years now. Not only is he the co-founder of Sunrise Capital Investors, he is the founder of Mobile Home Park Academy. Welcome, Kevin. David, thanks for having me here. Very much looking forward to being here. Well, most of the time, everyone wants to talk about all their successes. What I like to do is find out where we failed and what are the learnings in that failure so that other people see their leverage opportunities for success. So mm-hmm. when we look at real estate, you've got a lot of cool things behind you. Was it all rosy? Did you like, have you always had success in real estate? Yeah. Is, is it ever all rosy? You know, I mean, I, I think those that, that project that image are, are, you know, one big lie because uh, ultimately I think that, uh, David, you and I are fairly honest in that we would probably say we probably fail multiple times a day, <laughs> you know, so at least if, if you're, if you're not failing, you're not growing, but, uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, I, I've been in real estate my entire adult life. I uh, got really lucky that, you know, kind of, it found me at an age where I really needed it. Cause I, I failed miserably in high school. I mean, I just, I didn't like, I didn't like school that much back then and I didn't really understand the reasoning for it. And so when I graduated, I just went to community college and didn't want to waste my parents' money going away to school. And ultimately around that time, as I was trying to figure out what to do with life, real estate found me. And so I I got introduced to it, started buying properties and thought I knew everything, thought I was king of the world for a number of years, was incredibly successful and more successful than, you know, those that I surrounded myself with, all the friends I grew up with and, uh, you know, made more money than I'd ever, you know, thought I could ever make in my life, made more money than my parents, what have you. But then 2008 happened and that was my first big, you know, big failure that was to the point to where you know, everything I'd worked for basically got wiped out in the matter of a couple of months. And it's really hard to to step outside your your bubble when you're deep into it, you know, everyone everyone knows the old adage of like you you buy you buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Like buy low, sell high, right? But it's it's kind of hard to to think that way when when it's like your own blood out in the streets. And so um, there was a it wasn't just a matter of a, a couple of weeks or a couple of months. It was a couple of years of, of struggle to unwind just the uh, you know all the disastrous aftermath that came about from the crash of 2008. You know, folks that are listening, if they were in, you know, if they were alive at that point in time, maybe they weren't in real estate, they knew that, you know, we were in some challenging financial times in this country. And so being that I was based in Southwest Florida, all my real estate was down here. Florida was one of the epicenters, um, one of the few epicenters of, uh, of the financial crisis, especially as it pertained to real estate. And so I went from being worth at that time at about $30 million worth of real estate to being in foreclosure in my own personal residence. So I lost uh, you know, everything, including my own home. Um, thankfully, the court systems were fairly backed up and I didn't get kicked out of my home right away. So I wasn't like living on a, on a bus stop or a bench or anything like that. But it was, um, it was a fairly uh, few catastrophic years that followed that. And I learned a lot from it and I grew a lot. And it's really turned me into like who I am today. I mean, it really, I wouldn't change it for the world. I think if you'd asked me that question then, I would have changed it. But now, you know, that we're years past it, I surely wouldn't have changed anything that happened during that time. 
It, it, it's funny. You and I, I don't remember if we've talked about it. I had the similar situation back in that two, 2008 to 2010 timeframe. Mm -hmm. And here's a question. When did you know you hit rock bottom? Hmm. Because it may not have been when you were just losing everything. When did you hit rock bottom? And what was the greatest realization you had at that time that, what, that caused you to make the change that you have? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I know exactly the time when I hit rock bottom. I had just started dating who is now my wife. We were about three months into our, our about, actually about six months into our relationship. And at that point in time, I knew I was about to lose everything. You know, I was fairly new to dating. I mean, actually, we were about four months into our relationship, so not six months. But so I, like I was dating her. We, things were going well. I, I really, I just had that feeling that she was going to be the one, right? And I was very scared at that point because I knew behind the scenes things were going incredibly uh, uh, wrong, right? They were going spiraling out of control. And I didn't want to lead her down this path of uh, this guy is financially stable. He lives in a really nice home, the water, he's got all these things. I mean, I knew she wasn't with me for that reason, but I didn't want to mislead her. And so I, um, I let her know, you know, that, you know, that I had intended on, you know, basically letting things go. I couldn't hold it together any longer. And she just basically, oh, I think it'd be all right. And anyway, a couple months past that, is when you know, it takes a couple of months for after the initial default to happen for the really the banks to kick in and, and for things to start really spiraling out of control. We were we, we were out to breakfast one morning and across the street I had like a, a coupon uh, for like a car wash, like a you know fifty percent off of a car wash. And so I dropped my truck off to get washed. It was like a I was like a twenty five dollar wash, and so I had fifty percent off coupon. And we were getting breakfast at the at the you know little place there across the street. And at that point in time, David, uh, you know we're again three months into kind of defaulting and everything. Um, all my credit card companies, even though I'd never defaulted on a credit card in my life, uh, I defaulted on real estate mortgages, but not credit cards. They started cutting me off because they saw me as a, as a borrower, a, a risky borrower, right? And so they started cutting off all my, either cutting my credit limits down to next to nothing or just shutting off my cards. Most of them shut off my cards. And so I, at that point, I was living really on the cash I had. That was it, on my debit card. And so I went to pay for the, the car to pick up my truck. I think it was like $12, right? And it got declined. And I'm like, oh, I know there's absolutely money in there because this is like, this is cash. And uh, so I called the bank all cocky, you know, the 1-800 number, whatever. And uh, it was like a negative 360 some odd dollar balance. One of the banks had garnished my bank account. And so that, that, was, that was pretty much all the money, literally all the money I had. And I, I didn't have credit either at that point in time, right? So I couldn't just go say, well, I'm gonna put things on my credit card for a period of time and survive until we figure things out. So that was by far uh, just number one financial rock bottom, but also that happening in front of a girl that I literally had just spent, you know, six months with and, you know, we're getting really serious together. I had already kind of said that I love you thing. And like, it was just a very awkward, embarrassing, humbling moment. And I'm not sure the, you know, the, the lessons I learned out of that other than, you know, at that point in time, I didn't feel like I could get really much worse, right? Like if, if this is truly rock bottom, and all I have to do is look up, then like, let's, let's start, you know, trying to dig our way out of this thing. And let's start trying to climb up that ladder and get back out. Because again, st basically starting from nothing, I, I ended up having roommates move into my house at that point in time to like literally help literally not just not paying the mortgage. I wasn't paying the mortgage, but to like literally give me money to like live on. That wasn't the money I had to spend or like the money that my roommates were paying to live in the home and uh, what have you. So it was just a, it was a really, really challenging time. And, and again, if I had to define what the rock bottom was like, that, that was definitely, definitely it. So it was tough. Obviously you're not there now. No, you're in a very different place. A decade does amazing things. And it just shows that no matter where you are today, you can really create the life of your dreams in a matter of years. 
when you literally only had money that were coming in from roommates, how did you turn everything around? So it's a really good question. You know, what I realized pretty quickly was the, uh, uh, I couldn't control. I felt, I felt really out of control because I thought that, you know, like I had this cash, you know, I, I did, I never thought that someone was going to come and actually take the money. I thought I would work out all the issues that I had going on the outside and that I, it would be challenging, but I would sort through it. But like, that was kind of like my, that was my fallback plan. Like that was going to live on that for until I figured out how to, you know, move forward. And so I realized at that point I was, I wasn't in control, but there was one thing that I could, that I could truly take control of and I could own. And it was my overall health and like my well being, like how I felt. And so I went into this, uh, I've always been a fairly healthy guy. I mean, I exercise a lot and I, I try to eat well and, and conscious of that, but I went into like this, uh, uh, hyper health mode where I basically, you know, uh, went like vegan for, for a period of time, like just really got on this regimented workout uh, routine and, uh, and figured that I could, if I felt good every day and I just thought about all the positives that I still had, right. I still had my health. I still had, you know, my well being. I still had this wonderful woman by my side. I still had friends. I had family. If I could just stay feeling good and feeling healthy and staying, staying positive and looking forward to, you know, getting, you know, moving on and getting past these challenging times and everything, it would work itself out. It was going to take some time. And so like that, that period alone, like just me, you know, making that shift, making that pivot to, uh, again, focus on health, health and well-being really carried me through. I mean, like it, it got me to the point to where like, I really dove back into education, right? I had always been after school, after I said I didn't like high school, I, once I realized that I could learn about things I really enjoyed learning about and things that I felt would propel me in life, man, I became a, just a voracious reader, you know, going to seminars on a regular basis. That kind of stopped for a short period of time when this crash happened. But after I got really healthy and feeling well, I really dove back into all that, just saying, you know, like, this is how I kind of built things up originally was just by educating, you know, self-educating myself and surrounding myself by people that, you know, knew more than I. And so I just really went on a journey to do that again. I mean, like in a very concentrated manner, because at that point in time, David, I didn't have, I have really many other things going on. I mean, I was, I was more in defensive mode, but I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of rentals that I was maintaining at that time. I wasn't taking a lot of calls from tenants and what have you. I wasn't really running much of a business anymore. The business had pretty much gone away. And so I just, uh, I focused on what the next stage looked like, but also the, the important factor there is, I made sure that I was honest with myself about what it was that really didn't work. Like where were the broken parts of my business? You know, I, I, I originally stuck my head in the sand initially for a while, but then I looked back and was, was brutally honest with myself and said like, if I'm going to rebuild this thing, you know, wh what would I not do again? You know, what aspects of that business didn't work well? What, what, what parts of the business didn't run efficiently? Right. And, uh, and, and, and I made sure not, you know, to, to not do those again, to avoid those, those parts of the business. I mean, for me, it was residential real estate. I had a bunch of single family rentals and they were scattered amongst multiple counties. And there was a lot of different uh, management operational efficiencies with those that I knew at the time, but I was in, I was kind of uh, stuck in a routine. We were, we were building this business, you know, doing a ton of deals and deals. You know, if you're, if you're doing deals and you're actually building that momentum, a lot of times you make the mistake of attributing that to overall success and a successful business. And ultimately that wasn't the case. Like the, the, the business had holes in it. it already did. And the recession just basically exposed those holes and, uh, and, and ultimately made it uh, come, you know, go crash and burn. So anyway, those are some of the big, big shifts that I made again, just being honest with myself and uh, making sure that I wasn't going to go down those same roads again and, and making sure that, you know, during this next phase, this next journey that 
I was really going to focus on building a, you know, what I claim to be a sustainable business. You know, I was always a cash flow investor. So I thought, and I realized pretty quickly that when things got tough, my real estate did not cash flow. Again, those holes exposed themselves. Whereas today, the business that we're in, you know, we just went through a very challenging time, like a pandemic. I mean, literally people are out of work and our asset class, literally mobile home parks has fared better than every other asset in existence today, as far as real estate is concerned. Our collections rates are not 100%, but they're about 50% or about 40% better than what I thought they would have been, you know, given, in, you know, given the challenging times of people losing jobs and double digit unemployment rates, what have you. So you, anyway, you, I, I digress a little bit. So I'll let you take it back and uh, bring me back no, on track. This, you, you're actually right on track. And you just ventured into an area that you were in one area. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, you, you just mentioned mobile home parks. How did you discover mobile home parks? as the yeah. new thing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it took me about three years to really even get back to consider getting back into real estate. So I'll, I'll put that out there. 2008, 2011, I did start a few other businesses outside of real estate, but they weren't, they were just to survive more than anything else. And, and, uh, and so we won't go into what they were because they, they aren't, a, they aren't really a part of me anymore today. They just got me through this challenging time and helped me keep food on the table you know, I acknowledge that fire was still in my belly to get back into real estate in about 2011, but the world had changed a lot. The landscape had changed. Debt was very different. Real estate, everything was just different. It was a very different world. And I had kind of ignored it for the past, the prior three years. I mean, I just, I didn't buy any real estate. I was just managing or not managing. I was just really dealing with the outfall of what I had. That was it. And so I kind of went on this like um, uh, educational journey to talk to everyone that was actively involved, either had made it through the crash or had maybe just started investing post-crash and find out what was new, what had changed, where are the opportunities and where do I want to be? And during that journey, I was uh, introduced to a guy by the name of Randy through a, just a, a mutual friend. Randy owned some mobile home parks and I, I had no interest in his business. I just like meeting new people. So I was looking to expand my network. He had been a banker for 30 years locally. He lived near me and he wanted to have lunch. And I said, you know, why not? So I had a two hour lunch with Randy and uh, he really went into detail about after he retired from the bank, he started buying mobile home parks. That was his business today. And he talked about all the great things about mobile home parks. And honestly, David, like that was it. Like that, it piqued my interest enough to where I very much shifted my focus. I, you know, I'd intended to start buying apartment complexes. That's what I, that was going to be my newfound type of uh, investment to kind of rebuild things. And uh, after that lunch meeting, I, 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 I was so intrigued. I pivoted my focus and I kind of left the lunch meetings saying, I'm going to dedicate the next year to learn as much as I can about this niche because I, I got the basics. I mean, just a little bit. And so I need to dig deeper and I need to learn the operational side, uh, the intricacies of the business, what have you. And I did. And, and I bought a park, you know, shortly thereafter. And that was up in Atlanta. We still own that park today. Uh, that was 2012 when we finally bought that first park. I, I wanted to kind of either approve or disprove like all the great things that Randy said, right? I want to, is this a good business or is it a bad business? And the first one turned out really well. We poured our blood, sweat and tears into it. Turned out really well. Bought another one a little less than a year later. That turned out really well. And then we started buying more and more and more. And today we're, you know, in, we're in 13 different states and uh, we've been buying parks, you know, since 2012. So, you know, rolling on a decade now, uh, it's been a, a blessing in disguise because it was something I would never had, had considered ever before. Mobile home parks have a very negative stereotype associated with them. And it's just not the case. We've really enjoyed being in the space. We've helped a lot of families that, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, wouldn't have been able to afford the American dream. So it's a very rewarding space as well, allowing families that maybe have been renters their entire lives living in an apartment 
to essentially own something of their own, have their own yard, you know, put up Christmas lights outside, have their own parking spaces for their cars, what have you. And so like, there's a lot of rewards that have come along with the financial benefits as well. And we're, we're able to offer a, uh, you know, a, a, a very high quality affordable housing option for those that, that, uh, you know, that are living, you know, in those, you know, middle of the realm financial means that, that can't afford to buy a, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars house or can't afford to live in an upscale subdivision, what have you. And so it's, uh, it's, it's been a blessing and I've really enjoyed the ride. So. So what made you, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of success. We'll, we'll talk about your mm-hmm. fund afterwards. How did you, what, what inspired you to create the mobile home park Academy? I mean, I know you have a podcast and you've got tens of thousands of listeners and even more downloads on a monthly basis. What inspired you to create the Academy? Yeah. So when we started, so I, I, I kind of give a little bit of a, a foundation before rolling to that is I, I have two podcasts I host. The one I've been hosting now for, for quite some time. And, and I started hosting that, I think right, probably about a year after we bought that first mobile home park. I forget the exact time frame, but I know we had just bought that first mobile home park. So what I started doing is I started kind of rolling through case studies of uh, of the deals we were doing. I started sharing that on the show. I started doing episodes on you know what was happening in my life, you know the deal, the challenge I had yesterday with a contractor, what have you. And, and a lot of people started showing a lot of interest in not just just the general content, but also in the that investment niche, you know that investment vehicle of mobile home parks. And so a lot of people start reaching out asking questions about how they can get started and you know back then there even today there's very little information on that asset class uh, uh you know there's not many resources you couldn't go to amazon and buy 100 books on the topic there you know there was no other podcast out there on the topic and so you know uh, people reached out and so i i kind of answered their needs so instead of getting on the phone and i was always open to jump on a phone call with somebody and, and kind of help them out and answer questions for them but i realized that after a while that wasn't very scalable and it was taking me away from my business and so uh, i thought the academy was was a way for me to kind of showcase um, what I had learned and the type of business I'd built, the processes I had structured to kind of operate our business and, and um, some of the unique ways that we find all market deals, what have you, and, and put in a, a nice package way for folks to learn the industry, you know, get in with a uh, very little capital out of their pocket and actually learn the business and, and hopefully build a financial legacy for themselves. And so that was the original foundation of it. And, and it's even turned into more than that because it's actually something that we've even used as a training tool in our business nowadays. I mean, we, we have all of our employees have to go through the academy. It's, I like, I kind of call it like our business in a box. And so it literally is A to Z what we do in the mobile home park business. I mean, how we basically uh, database properties all across the country, how we, you know, creatively out of the box methods of finding ownership information, how we get their cell phone numbers, what we say to them when we call them up, um, how we negotiate the deals, uh, how we underwrite the deals, how we fund the deals, how we raise capital for the deals, what have you. So anyway, that, that, that was really the, the reason behind the Academy is to help others that had an interest get into the space. Cause I didn't have that guidance. I kind of fumbled through the first one in a very haphazard manner and figured it out. But Figured that we'd make a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, of a clean cut manner for other folks that want to jump into the space. Well, I, I, per- I personally know because I've been through it. It's very systematized. It's very organized. And it says a lot that the exact tool that you're using to train your own internal team is the one that you offer students. So if it wasn't good, you wouldn't be able to use it to train your team. Right. So it, that says a lot right there. Now, You've had a fund for quite some time and you've been you know, bringing on invest, investors in sun, mm-hmm. with Sunrise. How did that come to be? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So 
you know, initially we we're using not necessarily our own money. I didn't have really money at that point in time. And so we were using money from, you know, friends and family to buy the first couple of properties. And at some point in time you run out of it, right? I mean, like you hit a wall and we had more opportunity. We were, we were so good at finding, and we are, we're just incredibly good at finding off-market opportunities that we had more deals coming in the pipeline than what we had capital to take down. And uh, I don't like to let a good deal go to waste. And so being that we had a lot of folks interested in the space, but not all those folks were interested in actively being involved, especially once they dug in and started realizing that it actually takes work, right? It's not a passive investment. There's a good amount of energy and effort that it takes to actually not just find these properties, but buy them and then operate them, right? Like this thing isn't like a set and forget it mailbox money type of uh, operation. You got to be actively involved in a daily basis. And so we had a lot of investors you know, reaching out to us that said, hey, like I, I want to get into this space. I want to, I, I like everything that you teach. I like, I like the asset class. I like the returns that you speak to. However, I'm busy. I have a business or I'm a doctor or I'm a, whatever it might be, or I just don't want to do it, but I have money and I, I would like to partake and, and become a part of what it is you guys are building. And so we needed the capital in order to grow the business in order to take down the deals that we were finding. And we had a lot of folks that, that had capital that saw what we were doing, appreciated what we were doing and wanted to be a part of it. And so it was kind of a perfect marriage. I mean, there was no other way to put it and it's allowed us to scale a, a, a substantially larger business than what we had before. And also, it's allowed us to help our, our, our partners. I mean, th these aren't just investors. I mean, they're our partners. I mean, th this is a real marriage. I mean, we're in this thing together beginning to end and it's allowed us to help others, you know, reach their financial goals, right? Like take the money they worked hard for their entire lives, and actually reach that financial goal of financial freedom or, you know, uh, you know, uh, mail that for them, it is real, real mailbox money. Like it's money yeah. that comes in on a monthly or quarterly basis, no matter what happens. And so um, that again, Rewarding that we've been able to offer affordable housing to folks, but also rewarding that we've been able to help folks reach their financial dreams on the investor side as well. So it's, uh, again, been a marriage made in heaven. If someone's going through a hard time right now, which many people are, I mean, we know that we have the highest unemployment, underemployment rate because of the pandemic that we've recently gone through, or frankly, we're in the middle of right now. And yet, in the middle of this, there's still so much opportunity. If someone is looking for that next opportunity, if someone's sitting on the sidelines right now saying, I don't know when I'm gonna be able to get back to work, and they were interested in taking control of their future, how can they learn about the program that you have? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, so we, we mentioned the podcast. Uh, I have two podcasts. One is the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. And so that shows it's free. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's a resource that's available to anyone that has limited funds available. You know, just to those that want to learn, they don't want to go spend a bunch of money on something they don't know too much about. They just want to, you know, get a general introduction uh, to the industry, to the space and to this investment vehicle to see if it might be a good fit for them. And so I think we've got, you know, 120 some odd episodes now. And a lot of those episodes, David, like back when I started that, that podcast, that one's been going about four years now. Uh, you know, the earlier episodes, probably the first like 30 episodes are very granular. You know, we go into detail on very intricate pieces of our business and, you know, even different components of the academy, you know, that we offer. And, uh, and then the, a lot of the remaining episodes in that podcast, me actually interviewing other operators that are actually, you know, mobile home park investors themselves, learning how they run their business, uh, you know, how others run their, you know, their business. Everyone's got a, a slightly different business model. And so someone can, could probably actually piece together everything they would need to know for the most part to actually get into this business just from listening to all those episodes. And so that's where I would start. If I was anybody, you know, and you got limited budget, start there. Yeah. Awesome. And if someone's interested in 
investing, where, where can they find you? Yeah, you could simply go to our company website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. We've got, you know, information about our team, you know, our track record, and then, and, you know, any current offerings that we have available. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kevin. Is there, are there any final thoughts that you would leave with someone who's listening to this right now? No, I mean, nothing other than, and whether it's mobile home parks or, you know, any other type of real estate or investment or business, what have you. But I mean, if, if someone is listening, you kind of mentioned like they've got limited financial means, maybe they're unemployed, what have you, you know, now, now is the time, you know, like, especially if someone's unemployed, you know, to, you know, take that, extra time that you might have. I mean, you should be probably also hunting for a job, but also take that downtime to, you know, go find all the free resources that are out there. I mean, the podcasts are amazing, David. I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, this stuff didn't exist for free, right? You had to stay up late at night in the middle of the night to get like a mail order program in order to like learn a new business. Now you can go on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or one of the many other places to find information for free and educate yourself. And uh, so, you know, don't make excuses, you know, take advantage of this opportunity you have and just, you know, jump into whatever that next stage of your business is and, you know, move to that next level. So I got, well, it's not all you have. I know you have a whole lot more. <laughs> and, and seriously, if you're interested in investing, if you're interested in learning, I mean, you're hearing it from, I mean, Kevin he told you today how he went about as low as low can be losing everything. He found a way to turn it around. He went out there, heard a constant idea that inspired him and he turned it into something very large in less than a decade. So the, the whole concept here is no matter where you are in your life or your business, you can achieve anything that you want when you set your mind to it. Well, anyway, thank you for being here, Kevin. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.